verse of James 4. I have it on for you on the screen in, in just a second in the Amplified. I like the way it says it. And it says, Humble yourselves, feeling very insignificant in the presence of the Lord. He will exalt you. He will lift you up and make your lives significant. And that last phrase, make your life significant, is what most people are wondering what their purpose is, how they can get closer to God, what they can do to make their lives relevant for the kingdom. All these different things people want. And um, they are, they're looking for that. But that's at the end of a process, not the beginning. God, show me what you want and I'll live for you. Well, God says, live for me and I'll show you what I want. Amen. Romans 12 even says, submit yourselves therefore as a sacrifice unto God and then you'll be able to discern His good, pleasing, and perfect will, holy unto God. So, this morning, I'm going to share with you a story from Mark chapter 10 that brings us into this passage in James and how we move from a distant walk with God and feeling insignificant in the kingdom and in the world into a deep relationship or a deeper relationship with Christ through this story and through James chapter 4. I want to tell you that a lot of people get bogged down in their faith. And it's usually because as the sower who sowed many seeds found out that the troubles of the world can clog it out. The worries and the cares. And sometimes the enemy snatches the seed that's planted before it even gets a chance to take root. Depends on the heart that we have. And sometimes we receive it with enthusiasm. We grow cold because we distance ourselves from the fellowship and the nurturing and the continued growth in Jesus Christ. So we get bogged down. And sometimes when we get on fire for God, we lose connection with the source of the fire. Our faith gets bogged down. We feel like God is distant. Church is irrelevant. All these things don't matter. And I'll tell you what happens when you're not sure what you believe. Inside there's this quagmire of feelings and emotions that say, I don't know what to believe. I don't know if God is real. I don't know if I matter. If I have a difference. If I make a difference. If I even have a purpose in life. And we begin to feel like we're alone in the faith. We feel like our lives have no significance. And we begin to have these feelings of depression. We get depressed inside because spiritually something's out of line. Now, there's a lot of different people who struggle with that. And so you're not alone if that spiritual questioning and uncertainty has plagued you and keeps coming back. Wouldn't it be awesome if it never came back? Wouldn't it be awesome for you if your life was totally on fire for God, you knew what you knew, and you could see fruit and blessing everywhere you went? Wouldn't that be awesome? Today we're going to talk about how we get there from Here, where we are. This is important to me, and I think it's the most important life facet of the church, is that the church is in love with God and they share it with others. That love relationship is critical. Now, the story I want to tell you is about a man whose name is Bartimaeus. It's found in Mark 10. You may have heard his story, and I really identify with his story And as I was looking at this message for today, I realized that there's something, when I've shared this passage before with you in a message, 
that I didn't bring out. And that is how we get closer to God according to James 4 where it says, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. And how Bartimaeus went through that process. And how Bartimaeus was a blind man. Its story begins in Mark 10.46, goes to the end of the chapter, verse 52. And he's there begging, and he's on the outskirts of Jericho. Scripture passage on the screen tells us that Jesus did some work in Jericho. He came to Jericho. This is where Zacchaeus was. And other things that happened inside Jericho. So it wasn't just a passing through. There was a stay because he stayed at Zacchaeus' house. And then as he was getting ready to leave, Jesus is on His way to Palm Sunday, Passion Sunday, to ride the donkey and to be crucified. Jesus has already set His face like flint to go to Jerusalem. He's steeled on the purpose of the cross and He's undeterred no matter how the scribes and Pharisees are going to try and stop Him, attack Him, try to kill Him, plot and all this other stuff. This stuff's already been in motion for a while. This is near the end of His life. And they're leaving Jericho, getting ready to go on the Jericho Road up to Jerusalem. That Jericho Road is also the road where the Good Samaritan found the men beaten to death. Or near death. The Jericho Road was an unsafe place. A lot of places for criminals to hide. But he was out of Jericho getting ready to take that road into Jerusalem to be crucified, and he knew this. And Bartimaeus sits by the side of the road and he's begging. Begging, not for Jesus, but begging for alms. Someone give me some money so I can eat. Type begging. Now, Bartimaeus was on the outskirts of the town. Not inside, outside of town. That tells us two things about this man. Number one is that he was an outsider. If he was an insider, he could have been in Jericho at the temple begging. But since he was blind, they saw that he had a sickness that was caused by sin. So he couldn't beg in the temple. He had to beg elsewhere. And he couldn't find his way outside the city. So what they did in that time and day was Bartimaeus would have a cloak or a coat, his outfit, and a mat. And he would hold those things and people would lead him to his spot outside the city where he would beg people coming in and out of the city for an alms. That alms he had to share with the people who brought him. So he got a little bit. But they chose where he sat. He's blind. He doesn't know where he's going. And they would lead him back to where he stayed in the evenings. All the while considered a sinner. So he's sitting there and he hears that Jesus is passing by. Amazing how many people cry out to Jesus when they know He's near. Jesus was drawing near to Bartimaeus because Bartimaeus could not draw near to Him. There are times in our life when we don't know who Jesus is or don't believe that He cares and we don't go to Him so He has to come to us. And this is what happens to fulfill that verse in James. Draw near to God, He will draw near to you. Well, he heard Jesus was coming near, passing by, and so he calls out. And he says, the same thing that I encourage us to do is Jesus 
Son of David, have mercy on me. This is what is called the Jesus prayer. Actually, the last two words of the Jesus prayer are added on called a sinner. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me, a sinner. And that is the Jesus prayer that people often meditate on and contemplate and draw near to God with. And He's crying out. And there are people around Him telling Him to be quiet. But He cried out louder. The same thing. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Louder. This is His chance. And if you miss Jesus at the right time and don't have another option, when's your chance going to come again? This is His hope for whatever Jesus might do. He doesn't know. And we find out later that He doesn't know what Jesus is going to do, but He knows what Jesus can do. So Jesus stops. Now listen, He's going to Jerusalem to be crucified, and here's a man calling out to Him, and He stops. His agenda isn't too full to stop for you. When we begin to love God, our agenda doesn't become too full to hear the cries of the broken in the world around us. We begin to see all of the people around us. So he stood still and he commanded this man to be called. And the ones who were around him said, Hey, be happy. Bartimaeus, be happy. Rise up. Get up. He's calling you. Go to him. Do you think that that is something you would say to someone whom you're trying to help? Be happy. Get up. He's going to have an audience with you. Get up and go on go. Or are you going to say, Bartimaeus, he stopped. He's looking for you. Let me help you. Amen. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of times Dale probably couldn't have got up without help. There's a lot of times in our lives we can't get up without help. We're so low and discouraged. We need someone there not to say, be happy. Just be happy. What? That is not an answer when you're discouraged. Just be happy. Think happy thoughts. Smile, why don't you? He's calling you. You should be happy. Jesus loves you. You should be happy. That is not the church's response to a broken soul. It's Jesus loves you. Let us help you find out who He is. And let's go with you together. I'll come down to your level. I'll stoop down where you're sitting and help you through the rocky path to where Jesus is because you can't see through the crowd. There's so many crowds of voices in our head and our path that keep us from Jesus. And we need someone who's clear-headed, who's been there, knows how to get to Jesus to show us the way. And at times, we are the ones who are the clear-headed And he throws aside his garment. Now this is not something that the writer throws in there that Mark says haphazardly. You say, well, you know, he took it off. It says he throws it aside. This means the thing which is protecting him from the weather and all these things, he's throwing it aside so he can move. This is what he wore to keep himself covered 
from the world around him. It represents his attachment and safety net in the world. And it says he throws it aside and he rises and comes to Jesus. And this garment he may never find again. The crowd that doesn't like him may take it. But all of a sudden, when Jesus says, Come, the things that attach us to the world as safety nets aren't important. We throw them off. This is one of the ways you could go to closer to God is you get rid of the things that attach you to what isn't Jesus. Amen. And you lay them aside and He rises and comes to Jesus. And He gets there. And Jesus asks this question that seems rhetorical. What do you want me to do? I'm blind. What do you think I want you to do? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You don't understand what he's going through at this moment. He has to acknowledge the truth before Jesus. Mm-hmm. Amen. Jesus says we're all blind without him. Bartimaeus was physical. We're spiritually blinded. Jesus isn't actively growing in our lives. We've gotten blindness on and blinders to the people around us who don't have him. Amen and don't know Him. And the blind man says to Him, Rabbi or Teacher, Great One, that I might receive My sight. Ah! He knows what Jesus can do. Right there we know that I would be given My sight by You. I want to ask you a simple question to get you to answer something for this man that Jesus is also asking you. What do you think He wanted to receive His sight for? What was the exact reason? What would it bring to His life that would be different if Jesus would just do that one thing? Could you imagine when He heard about Jesus and all the miracles He had done and He's sitting there thinking about how His life would be different how he would be changed if he could see. What do you think he's thinking? I wouldn't have to beg anymore. I wouldn't have to stumble in the daylight. People wouldn't have to take me and set me down and take me home. I don't even know what my home looks like or the people caring for me. They say I have money in my cup. I have to trust that they took their fair share and not mine. I live in a world of unsafety because I'm blind. So what is the first thing He wants to see? Maybe it's His family. Maybe it's His parents whom He's never seen. Or the sun that they talk about. Or the grass. Or the sky. The things He's never seen. He sits there and dreams all the day. Oh, the day that I would someday see. And this would be what all I could see. And he's looking around going, and everybody else takes it for granted. And little old me, I live in misery. Because I can't. He's begging for his livelihood. Do you understand that? That if he doesn't get food, 
he doesn't need. And if people don't give it to him, he doesn't get it. In other words, he stays until he has enough. Living on other people's generosity rather than carrying his own weight. Oh, the day that I could carry my own load. Oh, the day I could have my own home. Have my own family. Oh, that I could have a life. (laughs) Sometimes we say that. Oh, that my life would be better. And Jesus, if you would just do this. What is that one thing? And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? What would you say? Would you say, oh, that I could uh, pay off my debts. Oh, that I had enough money in the bank and a little more to help others. What would you say if he said, what is the one thing you want me to do for you that I will do right now? Bartimaeus, very clear. You're the great one. I want to have my sight. It's the most important thing he can think about. It pervades him day and night. What is it that keeps you up at night? What is it that you wrestle with and struggle with so great that if it changed your life, it would be completely different? He knew. Do you? Most important, difficult part of seeking God is you don't know you need Him. You don't know what you have because you can't see what you don't have. We walk in spiritual blindness until we see the wonder and awesomeness of God. Until that point, we walk and stumble in darkness. And Jesus looks at him and He says two things. Go your way and your faith has made you well. His faith has made him well. Because he came to Jesus knowing that Jesus could do for him what Jesus said or others said Jesus could do. He trusted Jesus. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. I have to ask this question. What is Bartimaeus' way up to that point? Someone else is leading him. Someone else has picked out his clothes. (laughs) Someone else cares for him. And they all consider that his situation is because he's a sinner. Blind. That's what they thought diseases were from, as I said. And blindness. He says, go your way. And I hear this voice inside of Bartimaeus when I hear that what way's mine? I get to see now and all these things that I wanted to do. Look at the clouds, the sun, to see my family, to see the people caring for me, to look at my city, to see what my house looks like, to see where I stay, to go find meaningful work. That's what I've been dreaming about and now I don't know what to do first. Why? Because when Jesus does some move in your life, your values instantly change. Your thought processes and what's important to you is different. And so, He says, go your way. And when He immediately received His sight, it says, He followed Jesus on the road. Now, wait a minute. Don't miss this. The man has been confined to Jericho his whole life. His world is very, very small. 
He can't go anywhere and find his way back. Public transportation and bus systems and things like that didn't exist. He wasn't going to get a friend, hey, give me a ride to Jerusalem and come back. He wasn't welcome there in the temple there. He had to stay where he was. He didn't have a way. And that's what he realized in that moment is all the things I wanted to see come second because I don't have a way. If you don't have a way and have lost your way, you're mired in darkness like Bartimaeus was. The sad thing is, is you say you can see because you can traverse this world. It's at that point when you realize that you don't have a way that in James where it says, begin to mourn and weep because you realize what was important to you doesn't really make sense anymore. Oh, that I could just see my family. Well, then what? All the dreams that he had about sight changed when he saw Jesus and he said, do what you want to do with your life now. And where does this man go? (coughs) To the triumphal procession in Jerusalem. He was part of the people singing, Hosanna to God in the highest. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Glory be to God. Throwing palm branches. He was a part of that crowd. Did you know that? We don't know how He got back. We only know where He was going. But guess what? His way wasn't His way. His way became Jesus' way. Because He didn't have a way. Our problem is we have our way of doing things. We have our way of thinking and responding to people. And and if we're upset with someone, we can walk in unforgiveness and bitterness and, and, and not be hospitable because we don't want to. That's our way. When Jesus comes to us, our way becomes His way, and that old way which we used to have still wants some play. Some time. Bartimaeus was fortunate because he didn't have all that stuff to hold him back. We do. We have a way of thinking how people live and this world works. But we don't live for this world. We live for the world Jesus Christ belongs to and that we belong to, which is a heavenly country. We are foreigners on this planet. It is not our home. Hebrews 11 assures us that this is not our final home. That we are refugees here. And until we begin to see that, we're going to live like we belong here and act like people who live here and belong here. How many times... Do you think Bartimaeus may have heard Scripture read to him? I'm thinking one of the greatest psalms, the 23rd Psalm, he can relate to real well. You know that one, the one that uh, starts out, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Hear from the eyes of blind Bartimaeus, or through the mind of blind Bartimaeus. 
Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Bartimaeus is saying, how can the Lord be my shepherd? I'm a sinner. I'm blind. He can't lead me because I can't see to follow. Amen. Then he hears verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, darkness, I'm going to fear no evil for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. But what if you have a total darkness as a blind man and you believe God isn't there? What haunts him? What fears keep him up? It says, I will fear no evil. No evil, because you're with me. If God isn't with you in your life and you don't have a growing, blossoming relationship with Jesus Christ, you're going to have a lot of fear running in your life. Fear of tomorrow, fear of finances, what might happen, what will happen, how it could, and all these things spinning around your head because you're afraid. And the love of God hasn't cast out that fear. And you're going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death and you will fear evil. Because you don't think God's with you. Or you're not sure. That's why it's a dark place. No assurance that you belong. Bartimaeus had no assurance. But I'll tell you what. All the priests and all the well-wishers that ever passed by him could never get him in sight. Could never transform him. Back to James chapter 4. It says, Word, if wars and fights come from among you, don't they come from your desire for pleasure that war inside of you? You're always fighting yourself, fighting someone else, struggling to get ahead, and someone else trying to do the same. You lust and don't have, murder, covet, can't obtain. You fight and you war, yet you do not have because you don't ask. You're not asking God. Ask, seek, and knock. And then you do ask and don't receive because you're asking that you spend it on yourself and your own purposes and pleasures rather than God's for your life. And James says that we who do this are adulterers and adulteresses. We have no longer claimed God as our one and only love and have separated our passions to other things. Other loves. And God doesn't become number one. And that's why he says, don't you know, when you're seeking after the world's things and have friendship with the world, it is enmity, or you're setting yourself up as an enemy of God. An enemy of God. So if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself to be just that, an enemy of God. The Spirit that dwells in you Yearns jealously, says the Scripture. But God gives grace. This is the good news. God gives grace. That's why He says God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I really like that passage in that verse. In the Amplified, it says He gives us more and more grace. A power God... um, 
a power of the Holy Spirit to meet this evil tendency in all others fully. That's why God sets Himself against the proud and haughty, but gives grace continually to the lowly, those who are humble enough to receive it. You can't get what you don't think you don't need. You won't ask for it. You think you don't need it, you'll never ask. Pride keeps us from asking. And so in verse 7, he says, Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. The enemy don't want to fight you. He's got other people more willing. And if you resist him, he will back off. I don't know if you know that, but if you resist the devil and say, No, get behind me, enough times he will back off. Jesus said it three times. It is written. It is written. It is written. You shall love the Lord. You not be uh, satisfied by bread alone. It is written, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Three times he quoted Scripture and the enemy backed off. It only took three from Jesus and he was perfect. He'd probably take a few more before he knows you're serious. Keep resisting. He will flee. But you have to submit to God and resist the devil at the same time. God, I want what you want, not what the enemy wants. Let me tell you, this is so... Wonderful experience I had this week. And I'm glad I had it. At the same time, it was humbling. I had elementary kids on my second route of the morning. And they were noisy. <laughs> 23 kids trying to talk louder than each other. Trying to be like jumping beans in the seats. Bouncing everywhere. And I'm going, Oh, what am I going to do, God? And he said, pray for them. I said, what? I mean, I mean, I need to tell them to shut up and sit down. Be quiet, or I'm going to get you in trouble with your principal and your teacher and your parents. That's what I need to do. And he says, "Pray for them." Okay, God, but pray for them. Well, I'm at a stoplight. I didn't close my eyes. Can't do that. They'll really go crazy. <laughs> Can't imagine. Um, don't want to. And I started to pray for them. I said, "God, I love these little kids." And I really want them to know how much you love them. And I really, really want them to be safe. And God, I just care about who they are. And he said, well, talk to them like that. And I'm praying still. And then we go, we go a couple blocks after the light and we're making a turn down toward the school. And I look at the kids and I go, I'm really glad to be your bus driver, guys. And they stopped. And they said, what did you say? I said, I'm really glad to be your bus driver, guy. I just... Well, you know, I think about you when I'm not driving the bus and I really care about your life and how it turns out. I just want you to know that. That your bus driver loves you. And the bus got quiet. <laughs> how did love take the place of a raised voice? They're not used to hearing that. In this world where they don't have a way, the only way is the loudest one. So I said, I'm going to try that on the high school route. I will, eventually. (laughs) But what I'm trying to say is, God's way works if we follow it. But we get so distracted by the things that say it's not safe. But you have to submit to God and resist the devil. It's not the kids of the devil. The devil is the thing he's trying to tell you to do it the world's way. And then in verse 8, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. That's a promise. 
If you come closer to God, God will move toward you. It only takes one step on your part. But the reason it's so important is because the first step says there is a God and I'm going to find Him. And I'm hungry for whatever He's got for me. In Psalm 42 it says, The depths call out to the depths. The depths of God call out to the depths in us. That hunger that we want my soul cries out for the Lord like a deer hungering for water. That call the worship I used. Oh, that I would find God in His sanctuary. Oh, that I would find God anywhere. Oh, that I would seek God and He would seek me. The first step is to draw near and He will. And this is when He says, cleanse your hands and purify your hearts. Double-minded. Double-minded is we have two thoughts about something. I believe I don't believe. I believe help my unbelief. I think I can. I think I can't. I believe God will. I'm not sure. And he's saying, you can't walk in strength with two thoughts. So he says, lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Because your way doesn't work. And that's all you've ever known. And you keep going back to it. Like a dog. Returning to vomit. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work. It never has. It never will. And once you begin to see that there's only one way that's true, it's God's way. Bartimaeus never saw a road to Jericho or to Jerusalem, either one. Mm -hmm. Never saw a mountain or a rocky crag or even knew what criminals looked like. But he was willing to take that road with Jesus. Simply because it was Jesus. Amen. And that's when James 4.10 becomes real. Mm-hmm. And we say this, God, I don't know a whole lot and everything I've learned about life just isn't right. The world's taught me wrong and I've embraced it. I've believed it. I've tried to live it out. And now, God, I'm coming into Your presence. You're the holy God. I'm not holy at all. I don't know even know how to live for You. I don't know how to be holy. And You tell me to be. And I'm, I'm powerless to do this, God, because I have no idea what it means. Amen. And if you do that, in the presence of the Lord, it says, God will find you there. He will exalt you, which means He will come within you. He will lift you up from that place. And at that point, He's going to begin to make your life have significance. It's God's job to be within you for your life to have significance. Or it doesn't have it. So how do you know when you've had an encounter with God? Your values change. What's important before is no longer important. (laughs) And all you want to do is have more of what you found. I pray this morning that this message will help you get closer to God and ready for our revival, which is going to do the rest of the work. If you'll let God do that. And just simply say, God, change my way. Change my heart. 
Change me as I come to you now. I'll resist the things in my mind that say it won't work and trust you. Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, I am so much identified in my life with Bartimaeus because as the youngest of seven, most people told me which way was my way and I didn't have an opportunity to choose it or understand that I could. But today when you say come, you also say your way, you can choose now. And he's asking me, Heavenly Father, and each person here to choose life. To choose you. To choose to draw near to you and resist the devil. To submit to your word in all areas of our life where you're trying to make adjustments and changes. But most of all, in our heart. And in our minds. God, would you do that this morning? As we come before you humbly saying, it's your way. I don't know. I don't know what way is right for me. I just don't know anymore. Maybe I never did. Teach me, Lord. I'm ready. Heavenly Father, I pray that this is our prayer this morning. That we may indeed draw closer to you. Amen.